will be in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. So you guys please stand as we do each week to give reverence to God's Word. And let us hear God's Word for God's people in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was for the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and when all went to be registered, each to his own, um, and Joseph also went to up there from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, in the, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, oh, we'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this scene, this story that is rooted in history. Lord, I love how Rich just, just ordered us up in the call to worship this morning, that, that worship is given to those or to that which is worthy. Lord, you are worthy. This is why we gather each and every Sunday to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We gather this time in this season to acknowledge your greatest gift to us, your son Jesus the incarnation, God became man. God became, was born in a manger. He was born to die so that we might live. So Lord, we thank you for that. I'm reminded of Revelation where it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Lord, I thank you that you created this world. Lord, I thank you that you created your church, your church that is made up of believers, of, of those of us in here and online who are watching you. you. You created a new heart in us so that we could be reconciled to you through repentance and faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And we want to stop and we want to pause this morning. And the year 2020 has been a kind of a crazy one. We want to reorient our minds and our hearts to look to you, not in our circumstances, but look to Christ. The incarnate Christ who came as a babe in the manger to bring us great joy. Lord, great joy rests and is in you and you alone. Our Savior, our Christ, our Lord. So give us eyes to see this morning and reorient our hearts to this goodness, to this truth, to the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> All right, 2020. 2020 is almost in the books, right? We got a couple more weeks of 2020, and it's going to be a little interactive. Again, 9, 9 a.m. was on it. 9 a.m. was bringing the noise, so I want you guys to be on it as well, okay? Uh, I want you to think about this question. What word or what words describe 2020 for you? Okay, what word or what words describe 2020 to you? Before this week, this is, kind of how, this is where my heart was. This is where mine, what my heart was, right here. If 2020 was a scented candle, this is what it looked like. Porta potty's on fire, right? Huh? Who's with me? Who's with me? All right. So let's 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 hear some words describing. Let's hear them. 
describes 2020? Trash. Uh, this is weak sauce right now. Let's go. Let's go. All right, long. Good, good, good. I didn't hear joy. Anyone say joy? No, anyone didn't say joy, right? Actually, one person did. The last service said joy, right? Jordana. So she's like the only Holy Spirit-filled person in the room right now, right? Right? But again, my heart was not at joy. I did not look at 2020 and think joy until I started diving into this passage, until I started meditating again on the, the incarnation of Christ and, and how he brings us great joy. The, joy the, the Lord started to move on my heart as I started to meditate and, and study this passage. And, then, and so much so that Thursday, this past Thursday, I, I woke up like in the middle of the night at, at 1 a.m. in the morning, and for the next three hours, I just, saw, I just, I just thought about the goodness of the Lord in my life over, over the last year, both individually and corporately. At one time, I kind of popped up and Rita said, did, did I, am I snoring? I'm like, no, babe, you're all right, you know? Because I was just thinking about the goodness of the Lord in my life. And I just got excited, like, should I get up? Should I lay down? I don't know what to do here, right? But let me just give you a couple things that the Lord was putting on my heart. First, individually, uh, Rita and I, Rita and I celebrated 25 years of marriage July 1st in 2020. Amen. That's right. Good stuff. Hey, good. Give me claps. That's good stuff right there, yeah? Our oldest son, JT, uh, married the girl of his dreams, Brooke, right? Met Brooke here at the Crossing Church, Lord, and that was a good gift of God. That that brought joy. And the reason why that brought joy is, one, because JT outkicked his coverage, we'd say, right? He didn't deserve Brooke. She's uh, she's up here. He's kind of down here, but, you know, this is all right. That's the goodness of the Lord in his life, right? But also because Reed and I were praying for his spouse for 20 plus years. 20 plus years we prayed for his spouse. We prayed for all of our kids' spouses. And the Lord answered that prayer. That, that, that flooded my heart with joy. I, I just think about the Crossing Church. We, 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 we celebrated, but not really, 10 years since we planted the Crossing Church in March of 2020. 10 years ago, just myself, my, my wife, my five kids, and two, two ladies started the Crossing Church. And 10 years later, we have had thousands of people walk through these doors that have been transformed by the glory of God, that have been transformed by the gospel. That we've seen you, even in the last year, in particular in 2020, that this church has, has carried on the legacy of loving God and making disciples, of serving one another, of sacrificing for one another, of loving for one another. Not only those in this church, but also those outside the church. And again, I could go for many, many more examples, but my heart was just filled with joy. But ultimately, the reason why I was filled with joy is because I just thought about the incarnation and the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. The salvation that I have in Christ Jesus, that is the foundation. That is the rock of great joy in my life. Because nothing can take us out of that. Nothing can take us out of the Father's hands, not even a virus. So this morning, I I hope to reorient our hearts, our minds on the great joy we have in the incarnation of Christ. And for some of you, this might be the first time that you will taste and experience this great joy. And this incarnation of Christ brings joy, and not just joy, but great joy. So let's look at this together in Luke chapter 2, starting in verses 1 and 2. We see the setting, setting the stage for great joy. Setting the stage for great joy, verses 1 and 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered, or think census, uh, that was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And I love how Luke starts out, how he, how he captures this account, reading this story. It's about real people. 
The story's about real people. We see it's, it's about Caesar Augustus, who was a real ruler in the Roman history. We see it's about Quirinius, who was a real governor under Caesar Augustus in Syria. It's about real places. Rome, Syria, we'll, we'll read about Bethlehem. And it's done in real time, in real history. Notice it says, in those days, and it doesn't say, once upon a time. Luke doesn't open up and say once upon a time. He doesn't open up and say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? No, he brings us into history. Luke, the author who was called by the Holy Spirit to give us, given this task to recording these events, these events that he was recording were accurate accounts of actual accounts. That's what Luke was doing. He's recording accurate accounts of actual accounts. This is how the story unfolded in history 2,000 years ago. This, is, this, this setting for great joy is no myth. It's no fairy tales. No, it's no superstition that's been passed on. No, this is true. This is history. This happened in time. God entered this world as a human during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Who is a Caesar Augustus? You take you back to history a little bit, back when you were in high school, just for a short season. All right, here we go. Caesar Augustus was one, if not the most successful Caesar or Roman emperor in the in, in Romans uh, in in, uh, in uh, Rome's empire. He was the one that was credited with three with restoring Rome as to one empire. Uh, and during his rule, he he ushered in what's called the Pax Romana, the 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 Roman peace. Two hundred years he ushered in of Roman peace and domination. So he was great, and, under, and working under him was this governor of Syria named Quirinius, the man who would execute the orders of the Caesar over Syria. And the one thing that Luke tells us is that there was a, a census or a register to be taken place, that this would come down from Caesar Augustus to Quirinius to register the people. We just did a census, right, in 2020 for the United States of America. It's basically the same thing. Uh, the government wants to know what, two things. One, how many people are here so they can tax us. Right? They can become more wealthy and they can prepare, maybe not so much in this time, but in this time, but for war. So the reason why the, 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 the Caesar uh, did this registration was for wealth and for war. Again, if you knew how many people were in your kingdom, you could tax them so you could gain some more wealth to expand your kingdom. And if you knew how many males you had in your kingdom, you could, you could recruit them, you could draft them to conquer those that defied you. So humanly speaking, this was what happening. Luke details this for a very specific reason. One, humanly speaking, we're seeing that this Caesar just wants to enhance his power, his notoriety. But behind the scenes, there was a greater heavenly purpose behind this sentence. And it didn't come from the throne of Caesar, but from the throne room of God. This registration, the reason why Caesar Augustus gave this census was because God stepped in and moved his heart to put this order out. Proverbs 17.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it where he wills. So what we see here is the heavenly king turning the earthly kings to bring about the heavenly king's redemptive plan in history. That's what's going down here in Luke chapter 2. That's what's happening People might read this, and again, the human side and see like, oh, Caesar Augustus just wants his wealth and he wants, so he can go to war. But something greater is happening than, than filling the tills of Caesar Augustus. God is working behind the scenes to bring about his redemptive plan. Caesar and all those in positions of leadership back then and now are God's servants whether they know it or not. And so what we see here is God taking a, maybe an evil situation event like this census oppressing Israel and the Jews 
to bring about his good. The purpose, again, the Lord orders this census through Caesar Augustus for this purpose of bringing redemption here so he can get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem from Nazareth. They're about 100 miles north of Bethlehem. And, he, and, and the Lord needed to get the Savior to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy 700 years old in Micah 5.2 that says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, those uh, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, from you shall come forth for me, one who to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancients of days. So this is what was going down. This is what was happening. This is why the registration went out from Caesar Augustus, because the heavenly king was moving the heart of the human king to bring about redemption for you and for me and for the nation Israel. So what's being done, put on display here is really the sovereignty and the providence of God working in human history to bring about, again, the redemption of humanity through the birth, through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the setting of great joy. And I want you to continue to keep in mind the idea of God's sovereignty, and in particular, His providence, as we work through the rest of this portion of Scripture, because we really see God's providence come and put on display here. God's providence is this. It's God personally involvement. It's Him working in the lives of people, in the lives of in creation at a personal level to bring about His will. So it's God intimately working to bring about His will through you, through me, through governors, through presidents, through everybody. This is what's going down here. Second, we see the humble birth brings great joy. Look at verses 4 and 7. Through 7. Verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so what we see here, again, as we already alluded to, Mary and Joseph are up in Nazareth. This is a, a hundred miles north of Bethlehem. And, 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 and because he was of the lineage of David, and the census said back then that you were required to go back to your birth home, so Joseph was born in Bethlehem, the same place that his, his great, 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 great ancestor David was born. Joseph had to go back there. Now, here's the interesting thing. Mary didn't have to go back with him. It was just the males that had to go back to register at the city. But why do you think Mary went back with him? Do you think Mary wanted to stay in Nazareth? I mean, think about what was going on. Remember when she got pregnant by the angel and, and Joseph was, you know, was maybe going to divorce her? The slander, the stuff that she was dealing, she, she didn't want to stay there. She wanted to go with her husband. And Joseph didn't want to miss his firstborn. So he said, Mary, why don't you come with me? Now, we know that this journey is tough and hard as it is to travel 100 miles, either by cart, you know, by a donkey carrying you, or by foot. They didn't have minivans back then, right? It wasn't like here where you could just jump in the car and drive to Colorado Springs and be down there in, in, in a couple hours or like four hours now with all the construction and everything we have, right? No, you had to walk. You had to get pulled by a donkey. For anyone, this would be a difficult journey, but for a lady who's nine months pregnant, who's in her last trimester, who's ready to give birth, think about that, ladies. How many of you would be excited to make this journey? Nine months pregnant. If your husband said, hey, babe, we just got to take a trip down to Colorado Springs. Yeah, I got the donkey. I got the cart ready to go. Let's go. What would your response be? I'm going to take you back to the 80s. You'd be like, what you talking about, Willis, right? That's what you'd be doing. Some of you just have no idea what we're talking about. Joey does, though. Oh, there we go. All right. You wouldn't do it because it's crazy uh, to take a trip 
Again, we see the providence in the hand of God coming down because there's no other way that you're going to get a nine-month pregnant woman to make a 100-mile journey while she's pregnant. There's no way it's going to happen. But here we see the, the providence of God and this census coming back. That's how you get it. That's how God got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem by this census. Now, when they arrive in Bethlehem, the town in which Joseph was born, it was full. It was packed. It says in verse 7, there's, there was no room for them in the inn. And that, and that makes sense, right? Because you think about it. You think of thousands of years or hundreds of years of those that, that, that come and were born in Bethlehem and they're scattered throughout the earth. Now all of a sudden they've got to come back to get registered if they're in the Roman Empire. And so this little town of a couple hundred people would be packed with, with hundreds more, but possibly even thousands more people. And so that makes sense. By the time that, that Joseph and Mary got on, you know, from the donkey right on that cart, got to there, it was, it was, a, it was packed. Now, when we hear the word inn, we might think of like Holiday Inn or Comfort Inn. Uh, we, might, we might see that, that, that sign that hangs when you pull off the street, uh, you know, the highway because you've got you to gotta stay the night somewhere where it says no vacancy or that neon light that's practically no vacancy. We might think it's that kind of inn, a, a public house for strangers, like is the word inn for, in Luke chapter 10 with the Good Samaritan. But that's not the word used here. The word used here um, in, for inn means upper room. It means guest house. So, so, so Joseph and Mary didn't go to a hotel. They probably went to a relative's house. They probably went to a relative's house. This word is the same word where Jesus had his Passover with his disciples. Remember that. Go and find me an upper room. And so this, 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 this house, this, this place they went to first and foremost, probably would have been two stories. On the upper story, that's where they, they lived. And then on the lower story, that's where the workshop was. Or that's where the animals were kept. So when you think in here, don't think motel, hotel, think relative's house. And by, and by the time, again, Mary and Joseph got there, there were so many relatives in there that you can imagine, like, w- 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 if you have a nine-month, uh, you know, month-old wife who's pregnant, you don't want to be around 100 people in one small, tiny upper room, do you? And so by God's providence, they said, we'll just stay out in the stable or a cave that's connected to the house in the bath, probably. And so this is what happens. And then we see more providential language in verse 6. It says, And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Uh, I love how one pastor sums it up. This is how he says it. He says that the heavenly son outside of time was born into time. The preacher would say, in the nick of time. The Bible tells us it was in the fullness of time. That's what that verse says in verse 6. Isn't that great? The heavenly son stepped outside of time, was born into time in the nick of time. This is what's going on. Again, we see that God's hand of providence working throughout Mary and Joseph's life and taking a rough and tough situation and turning it into their good. And then Luke says that Mary gave birth to a beautiful boy, 22 inches, 8 pounds, to the proud parents of Mary and Joseph, right? That's what it says. No, it doesn't say that, does it? But this is going to be an important point principle, so I want you to keep that in mind as we go forward. No, Luke only gives us a couple of details, unlike Matthew. Matthew is the other gospel account in which we see Jesus' birth, and he gives us much more details. Luke keeps it simple. He just says that, that this, this, this Jesus was born as the firstborn son of Mary. Mary had no other children besides Jesus. He gives the details. She, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. These are basically strips of cloth that was kept to keep the baby warm and secure for a normal, any normal Jewish baby. And he said he laid him in a manger. You guys know what a manger is, right? It's the feeding trough for animals. 
This is where the animals would have breakfast in the morning. Some think this feeding trough was wood, but it was probably made out of stone. It was made out of stone and then, and then carved out uh, of that stone is where they would put the food for the animals. And so we have that song. It's a great song, right? Away in the manger, right? It sounds so beautiful. It sounds so clean, right? It actually should say away in the feeding trough, right? But that doesn't sell albums, does it? Okay. No, but it's a great song. We love Away in the Manger. And I'm going to pick on a couple songs. And, I'm, you know, it's just, it's just part of it. We want, to be, we want to be factual and true. We love all the songs, but just keep that in mind. Here we go. So this humble birth is the birth of the King of Kings that would bring us great joy. Again, Luke is just short and to the point. But why all these details? Again, what's happening here is Luke is highlighting the heavenly king moving the hearts of humans to bring about his plan of redemption. And the question becomes to us is then how does the Lord's sovereignty and his providentially working in Caesar Augustus, working in Quirinius, working in Mary and Joseph, how does that have any implication on the joy that we have today for you and me this morning? And here's where it, it, it collides with us. Here's where we have great joy, just as Mary and Joseph. Because the same sovereign Lord that was orchestrating the steps of Mary and Joseph when they were in the valley in the tough times and when they finally came to the birth is the same Lord who is orchestrating the steps of your life right now as we speak. He is just as intimately involved with you and your life circumstances and situations as he was back then. And as he's doing this, he's doing it all for your good and for his glory. And so I don't know about you, but this brings great joy. And I really want you to think about that right now and this week. I really want you to ponder, because this is one of the things that, man, just turned my heart around as I look back on 2020. And that the joy of the Lord started to really flood my heart. Because everything that happened to me and the Santini family and to this church was for God's glory and my good. The difficult times... And the good times. And I really want you guys to focus on that because that's what the incarnation is about right now. This is what we're talking about. The incarnation brings us great joy because we know and understand that God, the heavenly king, is working intimately in your life and is directing the circumstances of your life, again, for your joy and his glory. And so like I said, when I started to meditate this this week, man, the Lord, the Lord just worked on my heart. And two words came to mind immediately as I started to think about God's providence in my life. And we, and, and we sang them this morning. We sang them this morning. And by God's providence, I didn't tell Cole what songs to sing except for Joyful, Joyful. But the second song, Cole picked out himself. And we see again the providence of the Lord. There were two words. And, you, and as you walked in this door, they're sitting out there in the foyer too. The two words that the Lord brought to my mind. To understand that he is working in my mind, in my life, is what? Comfort and joy. That's what came to mind when I started thinking about the problems of the Lord in my life. Comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. As I look back through 2002. Listen, there is no greater truth that brings us comfort and joy than the incarnation of Christ. There's no greater truth. The incarnation brings us great joy because we know He is providentially working in our lives to bring about His plan of salvation in you and me. That my Heavenly Father is watching over me. He's guiding me. He's directing me and my family in this life. Both when we're in the valleys and also when we're on green pastures. That, that I know that, that my Heavenly Father, the Heavenly King, has my kids in mind. Is, is moving my kids' lives. 
that he's got their back, that he is intimately involved working in my kids' lives. Well, one's in South Carolina, one's out here. I mean, they're spread out all over the place. That, that gives me a peace of mind. That brings me great joy. Do you know why? Because I got no control over what happens with my kids. I remember one, one day at high school dropping off Taylor at, at Rocky Mountain High School. And I'm just looking at her throughout the, the rearview mirror. And I'm like, man, I have no control for what happens to her right now. I got no control. But you know who does? The Heavenly Father. The Heavenly King. And that brings me comfort and joy. I know there's a lot, of, a lot of families in here that have kids, and some of them are struggling right now. You're battling with your kids at a number of different levels. Some health, some relational, etc. But this is where this, this, this truth just comes in and gives you peace, gives you comfort and joy because you know your Heavenly Father is so intimately involved with you and loves you so much and your children. He's working it out for your good and their glory. And so this is where our lives and the lives of Mary and Joseph intersect in this setting and in his birth. We can have comfort of joy because the God of heaven stepped into time, was born in that manger. And what he brings with him is great joy through the providence and the sovereignty of him working in your life and my life. Third, we see the angel's message of great joy in verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so meanwhile, while, while Jesus is being born in the manger with Mary and Joseph and the animals and all the sounds and all the smells that that comes with, meanwhile, across the way, in the field, out in the field of nowhere, you have the Lord providentially working in some shepherds. In some shepherds. The shepherds are usually considered outcasts of society back then. They're the low totem pole of that. The Israel and the Jewish, um, in particular the Pharisees and the Sadducees, looked at shepherds as unholy because they were always around the animals and unholy things. They're, they're, they were categorized as living licentious, irreligious, irreligious, and unholy lives. One might say that they lived bad lives, right? Always get you. I love it, man. You guys are in tune. That's good stuff, right? Now, we're going to talk more about the shepherds and their experience on Christmas Eve, so that's all we need to know right now. The shepherds were, were, were out in a field. It was dark. It was a normal night to them, right? And they, they, they put the sheep down, and they're going by a fire, and they're, they're, they're talking about their day, telling stories, maybe smoking a hookah pipe. You know, they're just hanging out. It was a normal day for them. But all of a sudden, the silent night was just about to be interrupted. Look at verse 9. And the angels of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Of course they were filled with fear. That's the normal biblical response when humans interact with angelic beings, right? When all of a sudden it's dark out, and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up, and the glory of the Lord shines out. They freak out. That's a natural thing. But, again, we love that song, Silent Night, right? Who loves that song, Silent Night? I love that song, Silent Night. We end our Christmas Eve service with that song, Silent Night. But how silent was that night? At first it might have started out pretty silent, right? But think about what the shepherds would think about that song, you know, Silent Night. Silent night, right? Holy night, all is calm, all is, is that all is bright? Is that how they would have remembered it? Man, they would have been like, whoa. They were shocked. All of a sudden out in the field, the same field that David, as a King David, as a little shepherd boy with, would shepherd his sheep. An angel shows up. Shows up on the scene. The glory of the Lord shining forth. And he tells them not to fear. 
And here's what's awesome. The angel then preaches the first gospel message in the New Testament. The angel preaches the first gospel message in the New Testament. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is one of those verses that you should have underlined, highlighted, starred, etc. Memorized. It's one of those verses like Genesis 1.1. It's one of those verses like Romans 8.28. It's one of those verses like Philippians 1.21. It's a verse that is packed with so much good news, with so much awesome truth. It just hits your soul. It should be one of those things. It's a verse that actually you know, kind of separates itself from all of Scripture. Look at verse 10. This is so good. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What an incredible verse that is. This is, again, the first place in the New Testament where the gospel is preached, and it's preached from angels who were just in the throne room of God, and now they're on earth preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. And look at that message closely again. It says, the angel preached. It said, I bring you good news. That word good news to me is gospel. And, and that would be good news enough, right? We'd be like, yes and amen. But the angel doesn't stop there. He says, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. Every word here is emphatic. It's highlighted. This is just an incredible, an incredible message. It's the first time the gospel is presented. I love what Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says this, the angel showed up that the gospel is above all things and will most abundantly create the greatest possible joy in the human heart whenever you receive it. Do you want the greatest possible joy that the human heart can, can tally? It's receiving the message that the angel said to the shepherd is now us receiving to us. Why is this joy the greatest possible joy? Because it's a holy joy. It's a pure joy. It's a joy that only comes from heaven itself. I think Spurgeon correctly continues to point on and gives us great definition of what this joy is. I, I just love this quote. This is a Holy Spirit-filled quote from Spurgeon who read it a hundred plus, couple hundred years ago. Earth's joy is small. He says, Earth's joy is small. Her myrrh is trivial. But heaven... Heaven has sent us a joy that is immeasurable. It's holy joy. Holy joy is the joy of heaven. And that, you can be sure, is the very cream of joy. Holy joy is the joy of heaven. And that, you can be sure, is the very cream of joy. The joy of the world, the joy of sin, is a fire fountain. Having its source in the burning soil of hell. Maddening and consuming those who drink its fire water. Of such delights we desire, Christians desire not to drink. Why? Because God has saved us. He saved us from an unholy peace and from an unholy joy. And saved us to a joy that is announced by the angel of the nativity. This joy is as pure as it is lasting and as holy as it is great. That's the kind of great joy we have. Thank you, Mr. Spurgeon, for giving us that that, that little couple sentences on what great joy is. The joy announced by the angel of the nativity is pure as it is lasting, as holy as it is great. The incarnation brings us great joy. So what is the question? The question is, have you experienced this great joy this morning? Do you know this great joy this morning? Do you know this joy that's pure, that's holy, that's immeasurable, that's great? Do you have it? 
Some of you in here and some of you online might not have it. You might not have tasted this joy yet. Some of us in here are like me before this week and, and my heart had to be reoriented to understand the great joy that we have in Christ Jesus in the incarnation. And we see Luke reminds us where this joy is found. This joy is not found in a, in a feeling. It's not found in the burdening of your bosom. It's not found in, in great happenings or events in your life. It's found in a person. It's found in the man Christ Jesus, the baby that was born in the manger. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 is one goes with verse 10. It should be highlighted. I mean, this is one of those great verses as well. Again, the gospel message continues. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This, 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 this little, little phrase, this little phrase, unto you this day, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason why this, this little verse is so powerful, because this is the only verse in all of Scripture where these three, these three titles are attributed to one man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't find this anywhere else. No one else is called Savior, Christ, and Lord, only the baby born in the manger. So therefore, there's only one place to receive this great joy, and it's through the babe, Jesus Christ, found in the manger. This is, this is, again, the only places in Scripture where these three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord, are used in the same sentence. And again, the emphasis is just on who this baby is. He's Savior. He's Hero. He's Rescuer. He's one that saves us from our sin. Matthew tells us that the reason why they named him Jesus, which was a common name, because Jesus means He'll save them from your sin. This is the emphasis here. The emphasis is on Savior. That's why it's number one. But He's also Christ. He's the Anointed One, the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the serpent cursures that was going to come and save Israel, but then also the whole world. And finally, He is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the heavenly King, the one who rules and reigns and ordains all things according to His will. And one day, every knee will bow to Him. Back in the day when I was a, a, a ball player, and we would play against generational talents, we would play against those guys that are phenoms, that are right, that, that here's us, and they're, they're, they're way above us. We're not even in the same category. After we get done playing with them, we had a little, a little saying about that. We would say, like, man, that guy was all that in a bag of chips, right? That's what we say. That, that dude was all that in a bag of chips. Well, Jesus is all that. And not a bag of chips, but he is the bag of chips, right? He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. There is none like him. And the question is, do you have this great joy this morning? Do you know this Savior? Do you know this Christ? Do you know this Lord? I want to focus my final couple minutes on verse 10. On this gospel message. This is awesome. Again, he says, I bring you good news of great joy. I just, I just want to I'll pause right there. It's like, that, that sentence is so packed, you just can't read it like in a normal reader's voice, can you? You just can't be like, uh, and the angel said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, right? You just can't do that. When you understand what is taking place, that the gospel is entered into humanity, into history, through God himself, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All people. For unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the birth announcement of the Savior of the world. And notice it doesn't say what we talked about a little bit earlier. It doesn't say this Savior has been born to Mary and Joseph, the proud parents of Jesus, does it? That's what we would do, right? 
typically in our day and age, when everyone is, is born, we send out birth announcements. And we said, hey, Nate Santini was born to the proud parents of Aaron and Rita Santini. Right? That's what we sent out. But this birth announcement is different. Who is this birth announcement written to? Who is this birth announcement announced to? Unto you. Unto you. First and foremost, it was announced to the shepherds. Remember the shepherds, the unholy ones, the irreligious ones, the one that everyone looked down upon. These are the greatest sinners in Israel. They can't even partake in the, uh, in the, in the rituals of the temple because they are ceremonially unclean because they're always around animals. But who does the gospel first come to? The angel goes again from the presence of the Lord to shepherds out in the field. And he preaches to them the good news of Christ. He preaches to them salvation. The good news of great joy. This gospel message again is first preached to the unworthy, unholy, sinful shepherds. Men like you and me. Not to the religious elite. Doesn't show up in the temple. Shows up in the field. This is who this birth announcement is for. Unto you. Unto you. Unto everyone who's sitting in this room right now. Christ had you in mind. Unto you. Is born this day in the city of David a Savior who was Christ the Lord. Jesus, God, the author of our salvation, the, uh, the author of history, writes himself into the story writes himself into the story. The heavenly king becomes a human and writes himself into the story. We all know the, the writer Stan Lee, right? creator of the Avengers series, creator of Batman and Spider-Man, Iron Man, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, right? Most of us have probably seen the movie. He's the author. And what does he do in those movies? He writes himself into the movie, right? He writes himself into the movie, and when it shows up in the movie, it's in an insignificant way. Catches you kind of off guard. The author writes himself into the movie. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus writes himself into the story. And at first, again, it's, it's insignificant. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of away from everyone. It's just Mary, Joseph, a couple teenagers, some animals, and a cave in a barn. I mean, the Magi aren't even there yet, right? And of course, they don't come until two years later, so they don't even end up going in the cave anyway. So your manger scene is wrong if you have the magi in the scene with the manger with the, you know, put them over, you know, a couple feet away because it takes them two years to get to see Jesus. But anyways, all I have to say is, Jesus writes himself in the story. But unlike Stan Lee, he doesn't fade to black. When Jesus writes himself in the story, all of a sudden he becomes the story. He becomes the hero. And from the rest of the scripture, Everything, everything revolves around and focuses on who this baby is. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. This is the focus of the story. The focus of redemption is this baby in the manger. It's an incredible story. And Luke, writing in the power of the Spirit, says this is for you. This good news of great joy is for you. That the God of heaven had you in mind when Jesus was born. So how do you know if you have this joy this morning? Do you have this joy this morning? Again, it's not in a feeling. 
It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not, it's not when good things happen to you. It's about a relationship. It's about a personal relationship with a personal God. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Savior. The Christ. The Messiah. And this great joy can only be found in Him and Him alone. So do you have it? Again, some of you might be in here and you've never tasted the goodness of this gift in your life. You've never tasted of this heavenly great joy because you've been separated by your sin. And this is why Jesus came. This is why this is good news. Because God the Father sent Him down to save you. And so you acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge that it's your sin that separates you from this God. You repent of your sin and you trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That's how you obtain this. And when you do that, all of a sudden you're going to taste a joy that you've never tasted before. You're, you still might struggle a little bit. You still might have hard times here on earth because we live in a Genesis 3 world, but it's in those hard times, it's in those valleys that we can still claim and, 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 and resound like the Apostle Paul and say, Rejoice always again, I say rejoice. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Again, we can rejoice in those tough times because of God's providence working it for our good and His glory. So if this is you today, today is the day that we would, we, would, we would beg you, like we would literally beg you to come to faith in Christ. For the rest of us that have found this joy, that maybe lost this joy, and we didn't lose it because we misplaced it. We lost it because we just kept our eyes on our circumstances instead of Christ. Let, let, let today, let this message, let Luke chapter 2, in particular verses 10 and 11, bring your heart back. Reignite your passion and love for the Lord. To get your eyes off your circumstances and get them on Christ. And taste and experience again this great joy, this holy joy, this pure joy, this immeasurable joy that we can have right now. This is what this story is about. This story is about focusing our eyes on Christ and on incarnation. And when we do that, we see that the incarnation brings us great joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great joy that we have and is found only in Christ. Oh, Lord, this is a, a great, great passion. I can only imagine the shepherds when they were in that field and the angels showed up and they were preached the first gospel message. Fear not, for I bring you good tidings, glad tidings, good news of great joy for all the people. That unto you, unto you, unto me, that you have sent us a Savior, Christ, who is the Lord. Lord, I mean, we sit and meditate on that as we walk through those doors this morning. And we can rejoice at the incarnation of Christ because we know that the heavenly King is moving and directing our lives and our families' lives for our good and for your joy. And ultimately, that we know the one and true Savior and the only place that we can have heaven's joy is found in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.